Okay, welcome to the Average Saint Podcast, where we help the average saints live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is Season 2, Episode 3. Today, it's not uncommon for music from Bethel or Hillsong to be heard at churches who are orthodox in their doctrine. That sounds awfully weird, doesn't seem to fit, since both Bethel and Hillsong have beliefs and practices that go far beyond historical and confessional Christianity. And it wouldn't really be an overstatement to say that these churches are teaching serious doctrinal errors, not to mention the fact that there have been scandals that have come to light in these churches. Uh, You can think of the Lentz sex scandal. With that in mind, it's understandable that some people are very concerned when they hear a song from these churches sung in praise in the gathering. Should we simply censor songs from these ministries? Will singing them smuggle in strange and dangerous doctrines into the church? Is it the Pentecostalization of the church, as some have coined it? Do churches who sing these songs actually support error? These are all really good questions to ask, since we hope in and serve the God who desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And so joining me today to help us work through this issue is our associate pastor, Tim Nisley, and his dear wife, Leah Nisley, who is our Our Kids director, and I recently just learned a hazard degree in music theory. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, so first... Let's just lay down a few things. Leah, tell me about your degree in music. I had no idea that you even had one. Yeah, so I have a four-year Bachelor of Arts degree from Northland International University. Nice. Uh, Yeah, church ministry degree and a music degree. Wonderful. And how long have you been a worship leader? Well, Tim and I have been serving together in music of some sort for probably... 20 years. <laughs> nice. Man. Since we've been married. So you don't know at all what you're talking about then. That's clear. <laughs> this is the first time we're thinking about these things. Oh, is that it? So no, we've got really. you on just... your toes. <laughs> yes. And this is a controversial issue. Leah, you said something very interesting before we started recording that I, I was hoping you could uh, share with our listeners that this issue itself, because of the controversial nature it, it's it's something that, that is a foil against the church. T- to tell us a little bit more about that. Expand on that. I- yeah, well, I think that Satan loves to use music in the church mm. as an occasion to divide the church and really distract the church from its mission mm. of, of seeking kingdom people and seeking to spread the gospel. Um, if anyone has been in church for any length of time, they know that music is always an issue. Right. Um, people come to church saying, I didn't like the music at my other church, so I'm coming here. How's your music? Uh, um, music is a big deal, and I think Satan loves to distract us with it. We have all kinds of opinions about it, so I think this is really great that we talk through some of the issues and mm. try to work together to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well said. Well said. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's interesting that one of the greatest tools and gifts given to the church would be co-opted by the enemy of the church. I think so, definitely. That's not an accident, is it? So let's just lay a few things down before we start these questions that I've got for you guys. Uh, some groundwork. So first, we've got to recognize, as you said, this isn't a new problem. Mm-hmm. This has been going on for a while. 
uh, throughout the history of God's people, we have those who penned worship songs that had a less than spectacular orthodoxy in, in their life. Here's a few. So uh, we've got Spafford, who wrote It Is Well With My Soul. You guys know this this song well. We've sung it here several times at Fellowship. What is probably not very well known is that he actually taught a heresy when it came to the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of hell. But we still sing his songs. Is that okay? We'll find out. Stay tuned. Then we have Luther, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Who doesn't like that song? What a great song. But uh, if you look at what Luther said towards the Jewish people, it's really not an overstatement to call him an anti-Semite. And then we have Dear King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart, who led a violent life of bloodshed and fell so far from God as to sleep with another man's wife and then murder him. But we still sing some of his stuff, don't we? Absolutely. Okay. Well, this is getting really controversial really quickly. (laughs) Then we have King Solomon, who wrote Psalm 126. Dear Brother Archie pointed this one out. In the last years of his life, he actually lived in open sin against God, and yet his words haven't been removed from Scripture or uh, even singing them, and they haven't been rendered less true. So this is an old story. Uh, This is something that's been going on for a while and requires some discernment. The second thing we got to recognize is that, and I want to hear from you because this is just something that I was thinking about, but all the notes and all the words belong to God. Is that? Do we agree with that? Yeah, I would say we do. So there is no chord that pleased the Lord? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I don't think we could extrapolate that from the scripture. Okay. that's. I just want to make sure I'm on the same page. And so God has given us tremendous amounts of creativity to use various instruments and various musical arrangements which reflect his glory and to render him praise. So uh, these notes are not to be rejected. They're to be redeemed. Uh, my wife and I were just telling our children about the interesting, what is it? Is it the quarter notes that uh, like Chinese music and Indian music has? Like we don't, we do half notes. They do quarter tones. No, tones, quarter tones. Yes, we all do quarter notes. But... Quarter notes. So it's quarter tones. See, I don't know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> but it's that funny like bing, 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 you know, sound. It just seems yeah. off. And And my kids were like, it sounds funny. Like why do people sing that way? <laughs> And we're trying to tell them it's actually this is this is part of like God's great expression of diversity. Like this is how these people have uh, created music. So I guess those notes are okay. And if I can just jump in for a second, just yeah. coming from a very fundamental background, I guess mm. where I grew up, they did claim that. Basically, half the music belongs to the devil and half to God. So the devil owns beats two and four, and the righteous beat is is one and three. Um, certain instruments are also of the devil, uh, such as the drum. But we know that God is the God of everything. He right. is the God, like you said, of all the notes, of right. all the beats. And of course, sinful humanity can twist and make everything evil in, right. their, in their own way. But this is... God's beautiful diversity in music, and there's nothing that belongs to de- the devil. It Amen. all belongs to God. Amen. Amen. So if there's a God of drums out there, Jesus is ruling over him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen to that. Very good. Well, even what you're talking about, too, like when you start talking about the subject of ethnomusicology, hmm. you know, because a lot of times we we have an understanding of what we think is good music, but music is a heart language. Right. 
for for Indian or Chinese, like their heart music is actually in quarter tones. Oh, very good. And so we're we're going to take our wonderful old hymns and mm. and bring them over there, but it's not in their heart language. It's, right. It's it's different for them. Yeah. You know? So all of it across. I mean, a people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm. And so when we think about music, we have to think about it in the same way because mm. they're they're bringing that into the diversity of the kingdom. Mm. That's an excellent point. So if somebody's singing, like the lyrics need to be true, obviously. Yeah. But the music, in order to relate to the hearers so that they can actually engage, needs to be their language, the music language. I, right. That's that's a great point. To put that to maybe a little bit closer to home, uh a lot of a lot of the songs during the seventeenth, uh, some actually fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century, were written to uh, music that was was used in in a pub mm. or or a tavern. Mm. And so this is something that they were used to going to because the pub and tavern scene was completely different back in those days. But they would they're used to hearing that, and then when Christ saved them, they. They changed the lyrics. They changed the lyrics. Yeah. They, they they took the same same music and put their new faith. Yes. Right? Amen. That's excellent. And third, so that we got two first points here. So third, we need to recognize that there's a real conscience issue at play. I just had an interesting conversation with uh, somebody who's recently attended our church. They've come from, you know, charismatic background and, you know, they were very concerned over the ministries of Bethel and uh, Hillsong, as they should be. But because of the unsound doctrine and practices of such ministries like that, they they just cannot, they, they will not sing that song. And I think that is completely understandable because there is a conscience issue here. But we're hoping, though, that when people come to a better understanding of Scripture, they grow in sound doctrine, they grow in grace. Yes, they can disassociate from those ministries, but true words are true words. Yeah. And beauty is beauty, and it can all be used for the kingdom. All right, so let's get the first question then. Why would some choose to sing songs from these authors? Well, I think some would choose to sing these songs because they are doctrinally beautiful. They mm. take the truths of Scripture mm. and set them to melodies that are great to sing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they're full of truth. There you go. So the truth and the beauty aspect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why else do you think? Any other thoughts on that? I think some... Am I talking too much? No. <laughs> I think some ministries would choose to sing them because they feel really good and uh, they're very popular. Yes. Um, and that's what a lot of people listen to maybe on the radio. And so in order to make the congregants feel wonderful, they would encourage these songs and sing them over and over and over again. Right, 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 <laughs> yes, right, right. On repeat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and probably probably some of that is is that – if you don't have a nefarious reason why, or you don't have a pragmatic reason why, some of it, some of it's just because people know the song. Yeah, you know, like you'd be surprised how many people come into our church who don't know a bunch of the hymns, the old hymns. Right. Like you'd be surprised because they're like, oh, I've never heard that before. Right. And some of them they they have and they sing really well, and then some of them they haven't heard it, mm -hmm. and and it's 
quiet because they don't know it. Mm. And some churches, they just sing like, you know, the top 40. <laughs> gotcha. You know, in, in, in Christian music. And that's what they do on Sunday. The discernment that goes into choosing worship sets is is basically they look on the top 40 charts and say people are hearing it in their car, therefore they'll sing it better because they know it because they listen to it all the time. Right. So there's a widespread appeal. People obviously uh, like how it helps them feel. And that's actually an interesting point that you bring up, Leah, because that that's the criticism, right? Mm-hmm. The criticism is, well, you know, this creates an emotional response in worship. But last time I checked, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, like – Having an emotional response in worship, is that, by definition, biblically sinful? Absolutely not. If we love something, we will be affectionate. We will have deep emotion. Right. (laughs) Right. Because a whole lot of worship is actually actually around relationship. Mm. And and so, with relationship comes emotions. Mm. And to take emotions out of relationship with Christ – and the truth that's there to take emotion out of the unity and in, in, with the body of Christ as we sing worship to Christ, mm-hmm. and to say that it shouldn't do that mm-hmm. is is to say that this is this is some kind of cold religious writ that we do uh, every Sunday because we're supposed to. Gotcha. So you raise an excellent point. I think there is a, a sense in which people will confuse a emotional response as emotion for emotion's sake. Right, it's like we're trying to elicit an emotional response. Yeah, but the reality is, is that there should be in engaging in truth in something that is Christ exalting, God honoring, soul satisfying, rooted in the truths of Scripture. It should actually eventually become somewhat emotionally stirring, Mm -hmm. or there is no relationship there. Right. I think it's just another side of the ditch. We know the error in uh, using music to manipulate our emotions, mm, the the repeated choruses, the long periods of silence. Mm, those all are all aimed at specifically stirring mm-hmm. sorry, up emotions without truth. Right, um, right, right. So the other side of the ditch is no emotions. Mm. And I think as Reformed people, we fall into that ditch often. And it's not right. Frozen Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> These truths should stir up deep deep affections. Um, I find I get emotional at our pastoral prayers quite often because mm. there's so many beautiful truths. And I don't think that they're trying to manipulate my emotions. Mm. <laughs> but um, these, you know, the worship music and the prayers should deepen our affections for Christ. Amen. Amen. Well said. Okay. So now that we know why some are choosing to sing songs from these authors, the, the next question is, is, well, you know, people know that there's there's doctrinal error here. Like these guys are they're, they're teaching error. They're in error, as we mentioned in the introductions. They're in scandal. So why support such creators? Is that something like we can do with a clear conscience? Because at the end of the day, these guys are getting paid for their their music, right? I don't know how it works. How does it work? I mean, I we we look on CCLI. Yeah, that's where we get our chord sheets. That's where uh, we get our lyrics to put up so people can see them, you know. So I, I mean, we pay a flat fee. I, they get paid, I'm sure, from CCLI. Mm. Um, but it's also illegal for us to use the lyrics of any song that's not public domain without a license. So we don't believe in stealing. 
We don't believe in stealing. <laughs> Sorry, we don't believe in stealing is good. Right. Okay. So we do believe in stealing because it happens. <laughs> Sorry. But, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, but we are, uh, it's wrong. Oh yeah, that's so. good. So the copyright fees then, so CCLI, help our audience understand that. What is that? That's It's a Christian licensing company. Okay. Got so it. We purchase a year license. We get a number. Um, that's displayed every mm-hmm. Sunday on, on the title of the song that we're singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then there's a number that's associated with each of the songs that also has to be displayed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we, we infringe on copyright gotcha. um, law. And so, so it's a flat fee. It's a flat fee every year. And, yeah, and, you- it, and it's, it's determined by the size of your church. Ah. CCLI determines what the price is going to be by the size of your church. Interesting. So we just get a vast library then when yeah. we pay one fee. Just about anything you want, except for what's like new to, you know, some smaller, maybe fringe side of Christianity, not not mainstream. Gotcha. Then those won't be on there. But for the most part, you can you can just about get everything. Gotcha. So it's not direct support then. I no, mean, CCLI is paying these guys. We're buying a license. Yeah. So the, the, the I guess the side of that is... Is that if we have, for instance, like hymn books, not everything is public domain. Mm. And so if you buy a hymn book, you also support those songs that are not already public domain. Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha. Simply by buying the book, by the fee that goes into the book. Gotcha. Okay, this is helpful. Any other thoughts on that, Leah? Yeah, I guess you'd have to um, explain what you mean by support. Uh Uh-huh. Very good. Do you mean financially or? Yeah. So like the idea there is it's not just a financial support, but by even singing in, in, in the gathering of God's people, a song from a questionable creator is tacit support mm. of their ministry. Mm-hmm. So why would we do that? Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get into that, you know, maybe coming up. Gotcha. But I think maybe that is going to tie in with our our discussion on discernment. Yes. Like, are we actually supporting them by by singing what they write? Right. As far as are we supporting what they believe in their theology? Um, I think that would be a very clear no. I think you've made that clear that Good. they are in serious error. So if I if someone comes up to me then and says, you like mighty fortresses are God, therefore you must be an empty Semite. That doesn't follow. <laughs> that is not. That's a logical fallacy. <laughs> yes. Logical fallacy. That's good. Excellent. So there you go. I think you hit it right on the head. There's a logical fallacy at play there. Yeah. But you yeah. gotta think too, like in our in our culture, story is everything. Right. Right. So it doesn't really matter for for most people what logic is. Mm. That's why our kids are taking this class, Logic and Debate. This is where we <laughs> learn all about logical fallacy because now class. they they actually try to discern e- each other's arguments <clears throat> all day long in our own house. <laughs> and they're calling out these different fallacies and stuff like that. But that's um, fantastic. We have a problem, I think, in in our modern age to actually discern and think through things without without going to extreme ends to say that we're an anti-Semite because we sing a song that Martin Luther wrote, or we read the Mm -hmm. book that he wrote or a children's adaptation of the book that he wrote for a barber Mm -hmm. um, about prayer, Mm -hmm. you know, so we should not talk about Luther at all. Gotcha. Or, or anything that he wrote. Right. You know, 
I mean, it is a logical fallacy, but it's also, it doesn't give us the room to actually discern. Right. Is what this guy said true or not? Right. That I think is an excellent point. Maturity in the Christian life is about growing in discernment, partially. I mean, we have to grow to discern things. We cannot simply censor the world from everyone. We're all parents in this room, and we know. It's like, yes, there are certain things that are a little too heavy for our young kid's conscience. However, the day is going to come when they grow up where we're going to want them Mm -hmm. to exercise their discerning capacity. Because they can't stay children all of their life. They will have to be able to navigate with wisdom and with insight and with truth. And censoring the reality from them is not going to serve them. Well, think about it. Like if we teach our kids the Ten Commandments. Right. And then we get to this one where it says, do not commit adultery. Right. What do we say to our kids? Yeah. <laughs> we just, do we go read it and move on? Like, yeah. what, what are we going to say to them? Yeah. You know, like that is censoring to a degree. We have to figure out how we're going to talk to our kids about these kinds of subjects. Yeah. You know, and, and then for some reason, I think, I think there's a reality of uh, Christian cancel culture. Oh, good point. Yeah. Uh, so then if we see something wrong in something, we cancel everything about it. Right. You know, and so again, I think we'll talk about that in discernment later, but I think that that affects a lot of our thought about whether, are are we supporting these ministries? No, we're not supporting their doctrine. No, we're not supporting their, does some of the money go to their ministries? Sure. But, you know, we're using sure mics. Mm. I don't think everything is wonderful about that company. And yet we're using it for, for good Uh even today. Right. But when I bought it, I supported their company and the philosophies in a sense, they'll say, I mean, if we take this this understanding, right. the philosophies of their their business, right? You know, which could be all kinds of things these and, days. And this is in no way paid for by Sure at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing a product placement here. No, but fair enough. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Okay, so the next objection that we've heard is, well, won't singing these songs cause people to sin? There was an article that came out uh, from was it G three Ministries that I shared with you guys yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago. And that was the contention of the author that, well, listen, the very theology of worship that is packed into these ministries and their music is is meant to aim at an emotional response. So there's a theology there that is man-centered. And by even singing these songs, it's going to cause people to sit. What would you say? How do you respond? Yeah, well, it goes back again, I guess, to the discernment thing, because there are some music that they write. For sure. Uh-huh. That is going to fall underneath that category. Yes. And it is much easier, dare I say, to just ban them. Mm. Let's ban Elevation. Mm-hmm. Bethel and Hill song, done. And then we're going to be okay. Yeah. But that's actually not true. I was flipping through the hymn book, mm-hmm. if you can indulge me for a second. Please. And I uh, quickly wrote some lyrics sound that are very awful. They're not doctrinally sound, uh-huh. and they're in our hymn book. And <gasps> I think when we open our hymn book, all discernment then will go out the window. Right. So one of the uh, just a few lines here. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Again, that Jesus is just, please be saved. He, he's begging us. Right. And another few lines. Says, have you any room for Jesus, he who bore your load of sin, as he knocks and asks admission? <laughs> Sinner, will you let him in? <laughs> you have room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ crucified, not a peace that he can enter in? Or today, 
Today is a time accepted. Later you may call in vain. Soon your heart left cold and silent, and your Savior's pleading will cease. So that isn't right either, doctrinally. So what song was that? Did you write that? Uh, I the first one was softly and tenderly. The other one I didn't. Oh, right, you and there's rip those out. There's also hymns in there that are also written to elicit emotions. Mm. Uh, I come to the garden alone mm. is another one. While the dew is still on the roses, God and I are chatting, and it, it's a beautiful place to be. But then He bids me go with the voice of woe. This is a very personal experience for this author, and he's maybe writing about a special time that he had with the Lord, but it is a very feelings-oriented about right. just sitting quietly in a garden. Uh, another one says, there, there are souls for us to rescue and there are souls for us to save. Mm. Again, we are not the one who saves. Mm. So this discernment thing, it's just easier to ban than let's ban the hymn book or let's ban Bethel. We can't do that. We need to evaluate every song. Is this song trying to elicit emotions or mm-hmm. what is this song teaching? What's happening here? It actually, it requires a lot of work. Well said. So the censorship, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, really leaves discernment hanging limp. You don't exercise that muscle and you're essentially opening yourself to walking into error because something has been quote unquote deemed safe, mm-hmm. right? This is the safe hymn book yep. and all of this here is now approved, but it's not. Clearly from what you just said, there's some <laughs> some doctrinal issues there. And I, I love how you put it. I mean, there's some emotional manipulation even in the lyrics, right? Clearly putting our minds on the shelf isn't actually worshipful. No, it's the modern adaptation of I can't even. Mm. You know, so <laughs> this is here's good. here's this in front of me and I just can't even because yeah. I don't want to spend the time. I don't want to mm. um, to think through how this should be different. I don't wanna I don't wanna do that. And I'm not saying everybody in discernment ministries does that, but right. but to to just ban things because we find something wrong with the ministry is just this kind of like again, modern adaptation of I can't I just right. can't. And again, rightfully so in some yes. regards, but I don't think faithful. Yeah. Well said. I, 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 that, that's, that's excellent. All right. I, I, I think some have claimed, though, that, you know, singing these songs carry a Pentecostalism into the church. Leah, you already touched on that. Some of them do, actually. Mm-hmm. Some of them with their repeated refrains and long pauses, all that stuff. So the theology of worship in these songs can seek to manipulate emotions, but you've just demonstrated from the hymnal that, well, that's sort of old news that has happened even within our precious hymnals. How would you respond to that where somebody says, well, they're going to they're gonna smuggle Pentecostalism into the church? Where then should the, the framework for worship of a church, where should that come from? How should it be guarded? What are your thoughts? Well, worship, you know, God said... We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. There we go. And so everything that we sing needs to be done through the lens of truth, through Mm. scripture. Amen. And so if the lyrics are not true, if they cannot be found in scripture, they shouldn't be sung. There you go. So there's test number one. Does it pass the criteria for truth? Yes. I like it. Any other criteria there? From a local church perspective... Two of the ministries, mm-hmm. they have their you know their music people, mm-hmm. um, Hillsong Worship, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what Bethel calls their thing, but 
their songs have to go through elder review. Ah. Right. So then you can you can pick out some of their songs and say, okay, now we can see Bethel definitely believes in some right. errant doctrine. But when it comes to the local church, whenever there's a question about it, the structure for worship should go through some kind of elder review. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and why we do it. Mm-hmm. Something that looks looks like that should go through the leadership. Very good. I think one of the practices that I've really come to appreciate about our worship leaders is that when they start preparing the worship package, you guys have done this yourselves, you start with the actual text that is being preached mm-hmm. that week, and you look at the themes of that particular text in Scripture, and then create the worship package from that. Mm-hmm. So the whole package is not centered around an individual or some vain attempt to uh, manipulate emotions. It's centered around God's word. This is how we're going to highlight these truths, Mm -hmm. these themes in scripture and exalt Christ through them. Right. And then the worship leader is not just picking from his favorite playlist. Right. You know, so then it's favorites day, every day we sing, but there's a theme even down to certain aspects of the worship service. Like Mm -hmm. I've been telling our, our uh, announcements guys, when they choose scripture to read, Ask who's leading worship, what scripture they've been thinking through when they put their set together, mm-hmm. you know. And so then most of them will have something. They'll give it to the guys, you know, to read right before we start singing together, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a coherency in the service itself, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise we're just, there's tons of stuff thrown at us. I loved what one of the guys did on Sunday with communion where we're going through certain Advent themes. Mm-hmm. So he chose the theme of the day to to speak on mm-hmm. for for communion, and the music was chosen around that structure to work with. Love it. So now for the personal on the personal level, this is a bit of a difficult question. What would we then say to somebody who is in the public gathering, but they they've got convictions, they've come uh, maybe out of a background of you know hyper Pentecostalism or even prosperity gospel stuff. You know, they recognize the songs from Hillsong or Bethel or uh, even Martin Luther. And they're like, ah, I can't do this. How would we pastor them? I think we would respect their convictions. Right. Um, but I think what you, the word that you said is probably necessary at first is to actually pastor them and not put mm-hmm. aside their concerns. Right. You know, and to answer their concerns with biblical truth. Right. You know, and sometimes that's not enough, which I understand that. But I, I would go, I would go there first, just listen to what their concerns are. There you go. Uh, give them our philosophy of worship, mm-hmm. what we've come up with here. Tell them this is what we do. This is why we do it. Mm-hmm. Respectfully, you know, if they can't participate in that, understand that. Right. You know, and then help them understand that we're pastoring a whole church. Right. And if we knew everybody's concern about everything, we would just get up in the pulpit and just sit there and stare at each other. <laughs> Right, because everybody has something, Correct. you know, and so we would we would be frozen, you know, trying to discern everybody's convictions. There you go. So understanding, respect, knowledge. Obviously, this is the rationale for why we do what we do, and we've laid some of that out here. And then you know we're not forcing anybody to actually sing these songs. So you know, no one's going to hold a gun to anybody's head and say, "Hey, you, why aren't you singing?" Uh, not in this church, anyway. And I do think that uh, when we talk about even the, I don't know, I haven't, you guys can help me out with this. Like, there's not a lot of times 
that we sing Bethel or Hillsong songs. Like, I mean, like once every couple weeks, maybe. Like, it's not a lot. No. There's Sovereign Grace stuff up there. There's hymns up there. Anyway, go. Sorry. No, I was just saying, yeah, because I mean, I, I can only actually think of one Bethel song that we sing mm. forever is the song that I can think of. Mm. So as far as I know, I think, I think one of our past worship leaders sang a couple, but, but that, mm. that's the only one that's been, uh, been here that I know of. And then, yeah, Hillsong might be, you know, every, every two, three weeks. So it's, it's not something we're trying to saturate our, our worship with, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, it's there. You know, there's there's an understanding that people are writing music, mm-hmm. and they're writing music today. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of the songs that we will say are the great old hymns. Mm-hmm. They're not really fully understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so what, what do we do? This is one of the things I love about um, Keith and Kristen Getty because even though they're, you know, I would say charismatic, their goal is to return hymnody to the church. Mm. You know, that's, that's what they started writing four years ago. And mm. so there you read their lyrics and it's, it's for the congregation, the music, most of it, not all of it is written for the congregation to be able to sing together, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of good music written to Psalms that just congregationally you just can't do, mm. you know? So that's another thing that we choose music for is to say, can the congregation sing this together? Because ah, you can listen to the, the radio, metric. great song, we love it, great lyrics, right. but we can't sing it here together. Right. You know, it's not karaoke night. It's just, right. it, it's, it's better to choose something that a congregation join together and unity about. Uh, also, another, another thing I thought about too is when somebody comes to us and asks us questions about that, mm. one, of my, one of the things I like to do is just sit down and say, and read through the lyrics and say, is there something here discerningly that we can say is wrong? Right. So you start with the truth metric again. Yeah. And so if it's wrong, you know, if we find it and we didn't see it, then that's one of the things we'll say, yeah, we should stop singing that here. Very good. Sure. Very good. And so you raise another excellent point too. There's an openness to change, right? I mean, we're, it's not as if we ever stop discerning. Right. And, you know, there is no sealed book of, well, sorry, there is a sealed book of truth. It's the Bible. <laughs> but there is no man-made uh, sealed hymnal that says, you know, this is for all time, for every church, everywhere. Mm-hmm. There is a movement out there right now, actually, that is Psalms only. Mm. And their whole their whole shtick behind why that should happen mm. is that it's the only thing we know that is divinely inspired. <sighs> and so... So I guess we can't listen to sermons no more. Right. No sermons. No sermons. Um, yeah. no, no poetry. No poetry. No, all that goes back to the whole discernment thing. Right. Even when we listen to sermons, we need to listen with God's word on our mind and with truth. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lens. The lens of scripture. Very good. So we've handled a few big questions. This is obviously a topic that can span encyclopedias. But... Is there anything else that you would want our listeners to know as we seek to sing praise and worship and in spirit and in truth? Any other takeaways that you would like to highlight? Well, I would just like to encourage anyone who's a follower of Christ to keep giving one another grace Mm. because we will have, I think, differences of opinions, right? not over truth, but over music and, you know, the the meter, (laughs) the tune, if you will, um, always. Mm. And I think... 
one beauty of our church is that we have a variety of worship leaders. Mm. And I think even people might have their favorite worship leader here <laughs> because <laughs> certain leaders, you know, might sing more of one type and another leader more of another type. Right. But I, I think that's beautiful. I think that shows a good diversity, even of opinions. Amen. Um, and I also find it interesting that many people prefer music, church music. Uh, I shouldn't say church music. God is the God of all music, but yeah. um, gathered sung music. They really love what they were saved under, mm, if that makes sense. Yes. And so maybe, you know, some older people just <clears throat> treasure the hymns because that's when God saved them and they were singing these songs. Right. And some new believers, you know, they, they haven't heard of an Ebenezer before. And so when we sing, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, their heart is engaging in truth. They don't know what that means. Right. And therefore, this song is not going to become their favorite. But, you know, they may have been saved under Christ is enough for me. Mm. And, and they're able to sing that with conviction and joy because mm. that's what they were saved under. Amen. And so I think it's great at our church. Um, we sing a variety of things, God willing, with discernment and grace. But knowing at the same time, we're all fallen. Um, we will make mistakes here and there for sure. Um, when Tim and I were leading at our old church, we were singing this song about grace. And the lyrics were, were I think it was breathing in your grace and breathing out your love or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember now. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. Um, but anyway, we had a, you know, a very godly man say, you know, that is, I don't think that's the best lyrics because that really ties in with this uh, this yoga kind of Eastern uh, stuff about breathing in and breathing out. And uh, we're like, oh my goodness, you're right. We're going to reject those lyrics. Excellent. And so th- there's always a time to recalibrate, yeah. look again at the truth, but at the same time, realize that we're probably going to disagree mm. for always. But let's let's seek to to worship God in truth and in, in unity with the Spirit. Amen. Well said. Discernment and diversity with a heavy measure of grace. I like that. All right. Well, this was wonderful. Tim, Leah, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. This has been very helpful. And uh, we look forward to having you guys back on the show. Well, until next time, uh, if you have any questions or you have any ideas for us to cover, feel free to email us at uh, questions at fellowshipedmonton.com. And uh, this is The Average Saint signing off.